Hello everyone, welcome to Timing is Everything, how to leverage sales enablement to capitalize on buyer intent, a podcast from CG Life. My name is Chris Connor. I'm the host of Life Science Marketing Radio, but I have the honor of hosting this podcast for my friends at CG Life. And just to set the stage, in this podcast series, we're talking about how marketing and technology are being utilized to help sales teams better engage, convert, and drive revenue. We're focusing on the evolving sales process and consumer expectations or needs. The market today is fragmented into short-term interest and longer-term opportunities. Companies would like to respond to each of those in a way that's more personal and less transactional. And joining me today are Allison Day, Director of Sales Enablement and Training at Rapid Microbiosystems. Allison, welcome. Thank you. And Karen Sparks, VP of Client Services at CG Life. Welcome, Karen. Thanks, Chris. Allison, I'm going to start with you. As someone who has inhabited multiple roles within the sales and marketing spectrum, how has the sales process evolved within the life science industry over the past 10 years? And what changes have you noticed with respect to customer preferences and expectations during the buying process? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, there's been a lot of change, and that's looking at it maybe saying 10 to 20 years. If you think about consumers, they first moved their pre-purchase information gathering online about 20 years ago. And then it has been the physicians and the life science buyers that have done the same thing. But this move to the web really accelerated in the last 10 years, and I'll call it the teens, were really this tipping point where now the majority of customers started to prefer to get this content online and before they ever contacted a salesperson. Research from the Challenger Group and others shown that it's about 60% of content buyers will consume online or virtually before they ever are willing to talk to a salesperson. And so that's a big change from the way customers used to buy and how salespeople used to call on them as native, never heard of this product before. In the most cases, customers know more about your product than some of your newer reps do. The other big change is that in a complex and capital sales, purchase decisions used to be made by one to three people. It was a pretty small group. Now the stakeholders in these kind of deals has increased dramatically. And again, Challenger says that it's somewhere between six and 10 stakeholders. And for us in the life sciences industry, we certainly see it's more like 10 stakeholders for these big complex purchases. Karen, you work with a number of clients in life science and have for over the past decade. How have you seen the industry's relationship change between sales and marketing? Yeah, it's a great question. I I think certainly it's become more integrated. The fact that customers or clients are increasingly interested, as Allison was saying, in educating themselves before they connect with a sales rep, it puts a lot more responsibility on marketing to give those customers the information they need and to be delivering it at the right time and in the right place. And I think marketing teams getting real world insights from the sales teams about what customers are asking for, what they need to be educated about, in order to engage has never been more important than it is now. In in the best scenarios, sales and marketing have never been more closely aligned. I don't know that's always the reality. But I'll say our ability to measure and track the impact of marketing on a buyer's journey is certainly dramatically improved in recent years as well, which is very helpful in nurturing that relationship because if they can see how it's helping sales, it, it certainly makes it easier to engage in and be an active participant 
participant in. I like that. You said it made it a little harder on marketing, but they get a little more feedback right. and can see what's going on. And Karen, exactly. that's so true. I never thought about how that was metrics carried through, but thinking about the, so what have you done for me lately mentality, <laughs> right. both sales and marketing, right? Now you can show them what we've done for you lately. Exactly. Yeah. As a marketer, that's a nice thing to be able to say, hey, I got something for you. <laughs> um, Allison, as director of sales enablement at Rapid Microbiosystems, what are your core responsibilities and objectives within the organization? And what department oversees sales enablement? There's, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, my objective within the organization, we've boiled it down to a pretty simple one sentence statement. And that's really my job is to help our sales team sell more faster. Not just the more, but it's also the faster part. So what does that mean in terms of my day-to-day -day responsibilities? In our organization, sales training rolls up to sales enablement. So sales training is a big, a big portion of my mandate. And it's sales training for both new hires and ongoing training. Here we have a four week new hire sales process and we have a monthly rollout of additional technical and skills training. So here we're also looking ad hoc for weaknesses that we can roll out. And that weakness might be a technical issue or they're not using a marketing tool. This month was great because we had a blog that I felt was a little more complex. So we turned that out into a lesson in our CRM to really explain all the information behind the blog. And so I think it was a much more effective way of having a sales and marketing uh, alignment and in that third training component. Another big piece of my group's responsibility is the tech stack. So we're not technically sales operations, but when you think about the tech stack and sales enablement, it's to talk about maybe selling through video or how do I access my marketing tools? Do I go in through Salesforce? Do we have a, do we have a separate platform for marketing tools? Is it SharePoint? So there's a big piece of uh, sales enablement that is just getting to my tools and being able to call on my customers effectively. The third big portion that of sales enablement that my group covers is really the content. And it's not content from marketing gen marketing generation standpoint, but it's that analysis. What are the tools that are missing from both the selling journey and the customer's buying journey, right? If you just map it out, what are those tools? What do they need? What form does it need to be in? And what is the what's the objective of that piece it's missing? What are the questions that it's trying to answer? So then once I have that statement down, then I can bring that to my marketing communications team or my product marketing team and say, hey, I've got this hole. Either I don't think the customer is understanding this or they need this additional detail into these specifications from their technical buying standpoint, or it's, hey, my sales team needs more information about this type of customer they're calling into. I need more industry information and background. So it's really mapping out those two pieces, the sales journey and the customer buying journey and figuring out what holes are there. Oh, the fourth part of your question was who oversees this sales enablement? Is it marketing or sales? So I've been in this industry for a while now, but back in the 2000s, I was working for a medical device company. And fulfilling the sales enablement function, even though that's not what we called it back then. And I was in the marketing organization. But in the past 10 years, I've moved over to the broader life sciences industry, and I'm seeing sales enablement in both sales and marketing. Different companies do it different ways. 
The other interesting thing is early on in my career, when I was exploring new opportunities, I used to ask organizations whether they were a sales-led or marketing-led group. And people would look at me and give me pause. And some people would ask me, why does one group have to lead? And now, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) why does one person have to be in charge? But now that I'm older and wiser, I understand that really what I was asking was whether a sales enablement was a focus for the organization. Do you care about sales enablement? Are you providing resources of sales enablement? And by resources, both heads and dollars, right? Because those marketing tools to support sales enablement may not be what traditionally the product manager wants to spend their budget on. The first part got my attention because I've never heard anybody specifically talk about breaking down what goes in behind the blog post or giving people more information from the sales team about that blog post. So we just started that. I will say that's an an emerging best practice. And I will give credit to, to my sales leadership. They're like, oh, that's a great blog, but what am I supposed to do with it? I'm like, what do you mean you don't understand what you're supposed to do with it? You're supposed to see the insights there and then your the sales team can key off of that and forward it to their customers. So that was clearly a gap that we identified. If it was a no-brainer in my mind, but it wasn't a no-brainer in their mind, then I had more work to do on my sales enablement job. So you've covered this a little bit, I think, but what does the sales enablement strategy look like for your business? Yeah, and I wish I could say we weren't filling holes, but as we said, sales enablement is an emerging area for many companies, including ours, where I I would consider us in our adolescent stage. So a couple years ago, our first mission was really that new hire sales training. We didn't have new hire sales training four years ago. So it was building out that curriculum. And then now we're focusing on how to improve knowledge retention. Just because you told them once, remember it a month later. So how do we have a more modern sales training platform and engagement? From a tech stack standpoint, we are looking to improve our tool set in a virtual selling environment. So previously, we used to go into our customer's facility and speak to them one-on-one. That is not happening right now during COVID. And I think selling is going to change a lot. So we're exploring video tools and not just Teams and Zoom, but other video tools like Vidyard, just ways for us to be able to communicate better virtually. And then from a content perspective, we're doing that mapping that I told you. We are mapping both our sales process and the tools that support our sales process. And then we're mapping our customer's buying journey, right? What does the customer tell us they need to complete their buying journey? And then we're looking for the holes. So we've done that. We've identified the holes. And for us, the focus of this year is really looking at that content and a lot focused on that customer, the customer buying content, right? What is it that we know that they need that we may not be providing them now? So you think further down the funnel, it's that evaluation content. So beyond lead gen, But now that they're in the sales process, what is it we're missing that the customer needs from their evaluation standpoint? Karen, from an agency perspective, how do you currently support sales enablement initiatives and how do you measure success? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I would echo a lot of what Allison says in that it, sometimes it's that filling holes responsibility and sometimes it is the more proactive, how do we look forward rather than finding gaps and solving for them, but really planning proactively. And it can vary wildly from client to client. Some organizations are seeking overarching awareness. They need content, the sort of words on the page, the downloadable app note or white paper, the video, the infographic, whatever it is that helps them tell their story and communicate really what differentiates their offering. And I think a lot of organizations, particularly in the life sciences area, have that information in their head, but not necessarily the internal time or skill sets or dedicated staff to get it down on paper or on a dedicated landing page where it's gated and then can generate a lead. So I I think a lot of what we're finding our offering is simply the time and and experience doing it with regularity that makes it easier to just get it out there. In addition to the content itself, they need the channels to distribute it in. So whether it's the email list rentals and the ad buys that drive to that, you know, piece of meaty content or whatever other tools we might be able to offer. And some organizations need support with the, the nuts and bolts. So like the fundamental setup of systems and processes that will allow them to do something with the marketing qualified leads and measure the activity's success. They do a paper lead program with a trade publication or they do it even internally with gated content. And then they have an Excel doc with 250 names and emails or a list of folks in Salesforce now. But now what? In a scenario like that, it, it may be developing what the nurture campaign is that creates the repeat touch points for that sales organization. For those folks who have longer sales cycles and they need reasons to connect, I think we find ourselves often being the source of, give me a thing that our sales team can forward, send, connect via that feels not like I'm just selling to you, but like I'm trying to be your partner. And then ideally, we learn from what resonates with those folks and what they engage with and read and the measurability nowadays of those assets to do more of what works going forward. And so I think using the whatever KPIs are agreed to in advance and saying, yep, this one did its job, lets us do more of what works. The other thing I was going to add is the key to measuring the value of any of those activities, and I, I led into this, but really is agreeing to those KPIs in advance. So if we're just doing an awareness campaign, we're looking at impressions. Did eyeballs see it? If it's lead gen, did we get the form fills that we needed? And what's the quality score of those leads that are coming in the door? Or is it really about evangelism based on those who have already engaged with you and are loyal customers? And in that case, maybe we're me measuring followership or shares in social media. So agreeing upfront to what we're going to measure to demonstrate success then gives everybody the tool to go back and say this was valuable or it wasn't. Karen, I totally agree with that alignment comment. It is so important to align both goals and metrics, right? Yeah. What's the goal? How are you measuring it? Because you brought up leads and leads can be such a hot button. How oh, many completely. did you create? Oh, we created <laughs> 20. I'm like there were 20 people that were never going to buy. So exactly. that quality and quantity. So upfront agreeing to the goal and those metrics to make sure that you're in alignment is so important. Definitely. We could do a whole episode on quality of leads. <laughs> Definitely. I was just going to say, and I'd be interested in Allison's opinion for the companies I talk to, it's that 
as uh, Karen mentioned at the beginning, just providing time. It's the tyranny of the blank page. They all know the stuff in their heads, but you say, hey, sit down and write me a blog post, for example. And then it's just, oh, frozen <laughs> at the keyboard. Like, where do I start? And it's just hard to get that out of people. And then having to figure out multi-touch campaigns, my, my gosh, like you take it, right? <laughs> One of the ways that agencies like CG Life can be so valuable is that upfront facilitation, right? Bringing sales and marketing and sales enablement together to agree on that goal and how you're going to measure it can be is invaluable. And it's something that an agency, especially with CG Life, with their technical expertise and their PhDs on staff, you can really have a productive conversation and come out with a much better set of goals and I think ultimately a much better product that both sales and marketing support is if you do that alignment up front. And I will say anecdotally, Allison, I, I agree that frankly, an agency is often well positioned to serve that role in that if either someone responsible for marketing or sales is trying to bring marketing and sales to the table together, <laughs> there's a perceived agenda that isn't even yeah. there sometimes that people get all, oh, what are you trying to say? Your role is more important than mine or whatever the case may be. A third party that is perceived as just an expert in the area as a whole can sometimes offer the diplomacy that's necessary for both voices to feel equally heard. You're so right. <laughs> Sometimes we just need that mediator and that unbiased quote unquote party. Yeah, absolutely. That is a perfect segue to my next question, which is, Allison, talk about some common pitfalls or challenges that face sales enablement within an organization. Yes. So assuming you've already figured out where sales enablement lives, whether it lives in sales or it lives in marketing, getting that alignment is really, I think, the, the biggest pitfall. And so often either sales is off creating something or marketing is off creating something and they haven't aligned. And then when they come back with a product, the other person complains about that product. So getting that alignment up front. And so alignment to me means two things. And maybe it's just hot button season because we just got through budget season. But alignment means we have a shared goal and there's budget to support that goal. You can't just throw out an organizational goal. Sales can't say, we need sales tools to do X. And then either sales or marketing doesn't have that in their budget. So that alignment is so important, both from a goal standpoint and a resource standpoint, that that's really what I think over the past years has allowed us to be more successful is that alignment on both of those two key fronts. It's stunning, the absence of specific goals. <laughs> period. It was just, I want content that for this and this. Yeah. Who's the audience? Break it down for me, whatever. Yeah, Karen, maybe you could speak to that. My old life. I hated it when marketing communications would make me fill out this creative brief. I'm like, isn't this your job? But I learned the hard way when I was on the flip side. And so when we started working with the CG Life team, I was like, so where's your creative brief? I want that creative brief. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I want to make sure we have complete alignment on what we're trying to achieve here and what we're doing. And honestly, the exercise of com completing that is so where you solve for a lot of those things. People think they know what they want. And then someone writes it down and you show it to somebody else. And they're like, oh, that's not what I was thinking. And you go, oh, we are not aligned. <laughs> we should do that <laughs> before we go any further. No, you're right. And you just made that comment about paper. 
that is really important to thinking about to avoid those pitfalls, right? Is not just having a video conference where you all brainstormed in a room and maybe there was a whiteboard. You've got to get it down on paper. This is what we all said we needed. This is the goal. This is how we're going to measure success. There's a different level of accountability when it's been written down. Yes, or virtually. I'm not sure what the virtual equivalent now it is nowadays is. <laughs> true, true. PowerPoint slide. Karen, <laughs> talk about the role content plays within a, a sales enablement strategy and, and maybe give us some examples from your experience. Yeah, I, I would say it's a cliche for a reason. In, in From my perspective, content is king. And I think particularly with discerning audiences like those in life sciences, so scientists and those interested in this field, they're by their very nature people who are curious and a bit skeptical. They want proof. Where consumer marketing can put forth these bold claims and not necessarily substantiate them, it's just not an option in this marketplace. And giving sales teams content that they need to tell their story is huge. And to me, often in life sciences, it's a really consultative sales process. So it's relationship driven. Content doesn't replace that. It essentially just gives the the salesperson a reason to connect. And I alluded to that earlier that I think if that salesperson can be the one who provides their customer with easy access to the peer reviewed research, the data, the information they need that demonstrates the value of the offering, it makes that salesperson their valued partner. It builds that relationship as being, I am a giver of information, not just a taker of your dollars. And I think that is really where it becomes important. And I, I think it's also tends to be the way we congeal as an agency. A lot of our communications efforts are around a core piece of content. So decide first what it is you want to communicate and the sort of actual structure of it. Is it a Q&A? Is it a white paper? Is it an app note? Is it a video, an infographic, whatever that thing is? And then where is it going to live? online so it's accessible is it gated is it not and then what channels am i going to use to drive people to it and then how am i going to use it as is it a follow-up tool or is it an upfront driver and lead generator and using uh, that as a anchor point for a campaign a valuable piece of content is a very good thing to congeal around from my perspective Karen, that's interesting that you said about the group that we sell to, whether they're doctors or scientists, and they do require a lot of facts and evidence, which they should. But I think the key to that about sales enablement is that when marketing creates a tool, there has to be an additional loop. And I talked about that earlier with how we were training people on the blog content, right? For every piece that marketing creates, there has to be a follow-up of training with the sales team to show them not only, hey, look at this brochure, pretty brochure, see on panel one how we talk about this. No, you have to go into the look at that footnote. Do you see that there? This is the paper. This is the journal where it came from. This is the author that said it. This is why this author is respected in the industry. Because when the, if you have this, if a salesperson that gets a question and they can't answer it, it makes them look bad and they don't want to look bad. We don't want you to look bad. We don't want them to look bad. Marketing doesn't want to look bad, but they may not know. They may have spent six months just developing this piece and reading this, this thing 5,000 times. They might not realize, oh, that footnote, that scientist, they don't know who that is. 
Yeah. And ideally, someone from sales is seeing that as it gets developed along the way so that they're having input on whether or not that tidbit that you're giving is truly valuable in their experience as feet on the street. And that's a good point, too, about why sales enablement is per- is important for that person to be a separate person, because I can show the brochure to the salesperson. They're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty. That's great. I like that. See that headline, the bold? Yep, that makes sense. Do they think, exactly. do they have time to look in the footnote when they're reviewing your content? Probably not. So nope. <laughs> having that dedicated sales enablement function and that being part of their mandate is important. That's another great segue. So Allison, what recommendations or advice would you give to other companies looking to develop their sales enablement strategy? Yeah. So it depends on where you are in your life cycle, but say you are just starting out, right? You decide, okay, I've got either a salesperson that's interested in marketing or a marketing person that loves staying close to sales, whoever that person is. And sometimes hopefully it's a dedicated sales enablement person, but maybe it has to be a senior leader within sales or someone in, in marketing that you've designated that. But the first thing you have to do is look at your processes. I'm a fan of lean methodology. So this is why I say you need to look at your processes first, but you need to map out your sales process. You need to map out your customer's buying process and you might need an agency to help you with this. You may not know that level of depth about your customer's buying process, but think about, okay, what are the steps and how do they buy and do they need user requirements and what kind of specifications and what kind of proof points and do they need clinical white papers or do they need journal articles? So map out that process. And then third, map out your sales training process. And the goal here is to highlight the ugly. Where are the gaps? I think this is how my sales process works, but when I go to put my tools in, I see there's a hole. Or I think this is how my customer buys, and wow, I've got a lot of great Spark content for the top of the funnel, but getting down here where they're choosing between supplier A and supplier B, and they need to understand what services they provide, we don't have a piece on that. So you need to map out that content with the idea of highlight the ugly look for the gaps. And we we talked about pen and paper before. It's so important to actually sit down and do that pen to paper because you think you have it all in your head, but it's not until you put it down and you see the holes, you're like, oh, okay, that's where I need to focus. So you've mapped out your processes, you highlight the ugly, and then you need to prioritize the content. So if I've got a lot of content for the top of the funnel, but I'm missing mid funnel, or I don't have enough top of the funnel content, that's where you need to look at the balance. Cause you can't go after everything. You look at that map and you'll create it. Whoa, I've got this to do and this to do and this to do. So then you need to bring sales and marketing together and agree on the prioritization because sales would be like, I need this and marketing needs this and this. And then everyone goes off and thinks, oh, those tools are being worked on. No, you've got to sit down, make the list, rank order the list, and then go off and and create that content and that strategy. And you have to realize that this may be a three-year strategy, right? Maybe you can't get it all done this quarter or this half or this year. You can tell I work from a company that has a long buying process, so I have to think about this in in a greater timeline. But that's the first thing I would do is really map your processes and your content and then look for the holes and identify some people in your organization. Some, if you don't have sales enablement as a dedicated service, then identify some marketing people and salespeople that you'll know that will work well together. When I talked about how I used to be in marketing, but my function functional was sales enablement, I used to rely on our field service trainers. These were experienced reps who were also training new sales reps. 
So they would know the content that they needed as an experienced rep, and they would also know the content needs of those brand new reps. And so it was a great way for me to build relationships within the organizations, find people that clearly had a stake because they wanted to be able to train people faster. They also wanted to make their number. So find people where that are interested and then align goals. So what I said is take that gap, stack the gaps, decide um, which ones you're going to go after, but think about your greater performance metrics. It's always interesting to think about, does sales, is sales responsible for anything that marketing do, is doing? Is marketing responsible for anything that sales is doing? I'm going to jump over to Karen and ask her, given that what you were just talking about, what role does marketing play in helping ensure that successful sales enablement implementation? I think ideally it's a really symbiotic experience where the success of one highly influences the success of the other. And marketing teams develop compelling assets. They use the most engaging channels to tell the target audiences about whether it's a product, an application, a service, whatever it may be, as well as developing the materials that will nurture those customers and provide touch points and reasons for a sales rep to reach out and ultimately to be the one to close that deal and then to create those brand evangelists as well if possible and then sales serves as the feed on the street and they're educating really not just the customers but also the feedback to the marketing team about what those customer pain points are and the value props that'll resonate and what tools are helpful and which ones frankly are just sitting in their garage and I can say that because I know it. My husband is in life science sales and my garage has a lot of brochures in it. To me, open communication between sales and marketing means sales gets the tools they need to do their job well. And they're also the ones who can tell marketing the info they need in order to determine what those appropriate tools are. And really, ultimately, it means that salespeople don't go out and create their own assets that don't adhere to brand guidelines because I just need it and I need it now. And I've asked 10 times and I haven't gotten what I need because I've seen those PowerPoints too and they're terrible. I think, honestly, the more transparent and simple biotic people understand that relationship to be, the more they can provide support to each other in this very, it's a loop. I'm going to give you this tool. You're going to use this tool. You're going to tell me how that tool works or doesn't work for you. And then we're going to refine it so it continues to do so rather than just being like, great, thanks for that. I'm going to shove it in the trunk of my car. Allison, what do you think does the future look like in terms of sales enablement that's different from what you're already doing? How does it progress? A lot has changed in the past year. And Karen, earlier you alluded to stacks of brochures in your garage. I'm not even sure we're going to be passing paper for a while, right? I'm not creating brochures. I'm creating interactive digital experiences. But not even that, right? What has also changed is that our selling environment is now virtual. So being able to sell virtually also means we're able to collaborate virtually. And it used to be that we used sales and marketing and sales enablement would see each other twice a year at a sales meeting. Maybe if you're lucky. Some companies didn't even make the bare minimum investment of getting marketing to the sales meeting. So that's step one, making sure that your marketing team goes to your sales meeting is important. And then uh, to quote a, a famous CEO here, with the power of Zoom, we can now be together instantly and span the time zones that many of us work in. I can be working on a sales tool and quickly call up my marketing colleague and ask them to look at this quote 
or this fact. I just pop on Teams and I hit the button. Or my marketing colleague the other day, he did this to me. He pinged me about this article idea he was planning on working on and asking me if that would be interesting to our customers. This new environment has allowed us to collaborate in ways that we used to have to schedule a meeting or wait till we see each other next quarter or next half or next sales meeting. When this virtual environment has made collaborating easier in some ways. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't all get together once it's safe to do back in person. So I feel that comfort level of talking with my counterpart in sales or marketing or sales enablement. But I think that, that what's going to stay with us in sales enablement is this ability to be connected and stay connected and not wait a year or a half year to the next sales meeting. In fact, even if someone from training says, we've been, our training calendar has been around these meetings, right? Once a year, twice a year. But now that we have online management, learning management systems or the ability to make a quick call, why are we wait? Why are we waiting? Why are we waiting to collaborate? Why are we waiting to train? And I think that's one of the trends that will really stay with us is there's no longer, there's no longer a reason to wait and there's no longer an excuse to wait. So Karen, having covered all of this and based on all your experience with a lot of different companies, what do you, what's the one thing that you hope listeners are going to take away from this podcast? I think really that in this increasingly virtual world, to Allison's point, the materials and channels that marketing can use to develop and disseminate information are not about replacing the one-on-one -on -one relationship of sales, which to me is still so crucial in this field where customers' needs are so unique and the sale is so consultative. Marketing's value is in developing the assets that help a salesperson communicate and in making sure they know how to use those tools is really the the role here. And that gives them a reason to send a follow-up email in to qualify someone a little further by sharing some information that might be relevant to them and nurturing those who are interested in that more self-directed approach and to learn about that offering. And so I think really, to me, the takeaway is at the end of the day, the goal is the same. And there isn't this sort of separation between what marketing and sales does. Exactly what Allison was saying, just do it now, collaborate. And it's easier than it's ever been because everybody is a bit virtual right now to make those connections and make sure you're taking advantage of the knowledge within your own organization on both sides. I'm going to throw in another question because I really like this and I, I could wrap it up anyway, but did you imagine a year ago at the beginning of the pandemic with all the challenges facing us that you'd be sitting here now going it might actually be better now, marketing and sales. We might have made a leap forward. A lot of people have been talking about this acceleration, but that you've discovered ways of working that you would have never done or implemented in the next five years. Yes, I didn't think we would move. <laughs> I did not imagine this a year from now. I didn't think we would be having, I've had my second virtual sales meeting and they're going well. The engagement is there. I love seeing my marketing colleague's cat. We've got shared backgrounds. We've got this, we've got this little character. So we're in a lab and different groups and different departments have put different people or Bernie Sanders is now in the lab or the meerkat is in the lab. <laughs> so we're collaborating in a way that we never used to when we just sat around in a conference room brainstorming on a whiteboard.
I would echo all of that and say the the technology has come up to meet us in these challenging times in a way that's been very helpful. But I think, frankly, even more importantly, the sort of humanization of things. I, I think we've all found in our personal lives as well, these little bright spots in this whole experience that I think the way, when I think about the way I relate with clients and things now, <laughs> what you were saying, Allison, when you see someone's cat walk by or a kid walk by in the background, oh, I'm a human, you're a human, we're all getting through this crazy time together, that there's some, there's almost a little bit bit of a benefit to the reduction in the formality of relationships that makes them seem a little more genuine. People are a little more approachable and a little more patient and forgiving of each other of, oh, sorry, bad Wi-Fi today or whatever the case may be, that I think is ultimately beneficial to interpersonal relationships within an organization and then also relationships between organizations and their customers. It all just seems a little more genuine. I, I think there are definitely pluses to it which is crazy to say, but there are. You know, us as in the marketing world too, we've added another dimension to our collaboration. It used to be in person where yes, you got to see visually, but not everyone could be in the room or it was a teleconference and there was no feedback with video. I now know that our vendors, I know what people look like. I have, I feel like I have a much better relationship with them rather than just a voice at the end of the call that we're talking weekly. Having that, that third dimension where you can see people's and see people's reactions, I definitely think has increased our ability to collaborate and to be confrontational a good way with each other. Yes. Not, I think we're creating better quality content because we're hearing people and seeing people all in the same level. You don't have some people just on calling in or some people in a room or I think this is, that has really been a good thing. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Which is not to say that we're not all looking forward to getting together and having a beer <laughs> Truth. together, but I think it's going to make everything else easier going forward. So Allison Day and Karen Sparks, thanks so much for sharing all this experience with us on the uh, CG Life Sales Enablement Podcast. Thank you, Thank Chris. Thank you.